Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Two for the Matinee. Today we'll be discussing Francis and Malcolm X. So as always, spoiler warning, because these movies are about to be spoiled. So I've been meaning to tell you that I've been watching Lovesick after you recommended it. It's so good, right? Yeah, it's okay. Uh... I th- I don't think I've ever watched a show with such a such a uh, dud of a main character. Oh yeah, he sucks. He sucks so much. Yeah. And I don't know why any of the he, there's this army this army of women that are into him. Yeah. I watch it because <clears throat> his friend Luke is amusing. He's funny. Yes, all the people around him are amusing. Yeah. He's the one that's just blah. And Evie's hot, but he's like not really that into her or something. No. And then later she does meet someone who I think is better, but oh well. Yeah, I'm uh I'm at the end of season 2, so I just watched the episode where her and her fiance are arguing about where to have the wedding. I like the fiance better. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, everyone on that show is more interesting than the main character. I don't know who cast this or how <laughs> this came about, but I'm like, he's so lame and pathetic. Yeah, yeah. And I have no idea. Like, I, I guess he works in a coffee shop, right, or something. I don't even know what he does outside of dating. Does he work in the coffee shop? Well, remember one of the one of the women that he uh, meets up with to tell her about his, that uh, was a chlamydia or gonorrhea. I don't even remember now, but uh, they used to work in the, she worked in the coffee shop with him. Okay. Oh, but then he quit. Cause then he was in love with that one pot smoker who had a boyfriend. And then she was teaching him how to Gaelic dance. And oh kept, yeah. I remember that. And then yes. they both quit the next day. So I don't even know what he does now. Yeah. But I just saw the scene where they go to the strip club and Angus and the stripper fall in love because yes. they fell into math. <laughs> maths. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like uh, it's it's amusing. It's you know easy to watch. So I like turn it on once in a while when I just want a fun distraction. Yeah, you should turn on W one A if you want a fun distraction. W one A is that yes. on Netflix? Yes. What is it? It's sort of the inner workings of the BBC, but it's like taken to a level beyond absurdity with the people who work behind the scenes of producing the shows. And it's scripted, but it's really funny. And the narrator is David Tennant. And it takes place now? Yeah. <clears throat> it's not like The Hour? Remember that? No. Show? Well, I mean, it's kind of like The Hour because The Hour is like behind, but it's serious and dramatic and historical, oh, okay. whereas this is absurd and funny. And ridiculous. Didn't but it's like, me- yeah, she, I mean, it's like 20 minute episodes and it's, you watch a couple and go to bed. All right. I'll look into it. Didn't you tell me that the uh, they picked up the hour for another season, but it, COVID probably killed I that. I thought I read somewhere that they were going to re- reboot it or revisit it. Yeah. That was a good show. Um, oh, and then uh, <laughs> I recommended the show to a friend of mine and he really liked it. Have you heard of Comrade, Comrade Detective? Mm-mm. No. So I like to uh, do like deep browsing in Amazon Prime. There's and some wild stuff on there. <laughs> yes, there is. And I have no idea why, why it's on there. But I found this show called Comrade Detective. And it was 
the premise of the show is that it's a uh, remastered, redubbed version of this sh- Romanian cop show from the 80s. And it's dubbed with a bunch of celebrities and actors. So uh, what's his name for Magic Mike? Tatum. Ch- Channing Tatum. Yeah, he, he dubs the main character. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt is his partner. And so this is presented seriously, but it's all a joke. But okay, the acting is serious. Like the, the actors play it so straight, but it, it turns out to be so funny. Okay. I think it's only like eight episodes. Have you watched anything else that's interesting? Um, I watched Mahler on Criterion. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't get to that. That's okay. I was just like, geez, this, this is one. It's very difficult watch. It's RT with a capital A. It has some very interesting visuals. That kept me intrigued, but it is it's it's a difficult watch to say the least. You were you were gushing about it so much before. That was because that was a, a sense memory. Ah, okay. So now upon much like Francis was a sense memory. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Francis. You want to tell yeah. us what Francis is about? I had so, no idea what it was about. Did you just watch it blind? I did. Francis is a 1982 historical drama starring Jessica Lange and Sam Shepard and Kim Stanley. And it tells this true story. Well, hmm, kind of true story. Supposedly true story. Supposedly true, quote, quotation marks, true story of tragic film actress Frances Farmer. And so what, yes, it was a sense memory for me. And what was your sense saying. memory? I just remember being so engaged by the story and so moved and by how tragic the story was. I think I cried at the end of this movie when I first saw it. Um, and I just, I just remember Jessica Lange being amazing in it and how her, that character of Frances really touched me and how tragic her story was. Didn't remember every little detail of the film or even sort of the filmmaking involved in it the level of filmmaking i just remember jessica lang having an emotional impact on me i forgot to look this up but she did she get any awards for this she got a nomination for it oscar golden globe Uh, i don't know about the golden globe but i know she got an oscar nomination i think this is like her favorite role one of her favorite film roles yeah she was excellent completely agree yeah she's amazing yeah and i mean i guess i only kind of remember her now as older but she was hot She's a hottie. I love her. She she just sort of, that's what I remembered from the movie. I didn't remember any of the problems that the script had, any of the problems in the storytelling, the sort of remedial direction of it all. I didn't remember any of that. I just remember her. And it's got a couple connections. Uh, our friend, the late Sam Shepard is in it. Oh, I love Sam Shepard. Yeah. And I realized that Sam Shepard is... Pretty much Sam Shepard and everything, which is fine because he's, I love Sam Shepard, but he's sort of the same character. I think he, he just plays Sam Shepard. Yeah, exactly. Which is fine if you like that. And I do. Yeah. And I think they met, they met on the set of this film and would go on to be together for like 30 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. And uh, this movie has a connection to another movie that we watched a long, long time ago, starring Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Oh, Repo Man? 
starring Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Oh, Minute Work. Yes. Do you know what the connection is? No. What is it? So in Francis, the reporter uh, who gets, who, who's like trying to expose her. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. He's so smarmy. He played that guy running for mayor in Men at Work that gets murdered early on. Did he really? Well, that, he got what he deserved in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he went on to die. Yeah. So let me just say, in the intervening years, I've come to learn a little bit more about Frances Farmer. She never got the lobotomy. She never did? No. She was never given a lobotomy. She did go through like psychiatric hospitals and was institutionalized, but um, there's this podcast called You Must Remember This, and I, they did an episode of Francis Farmer, and there's also another article I read. I cannot recall. I read so many things, um, but they're like, yeah, that's, that's dramatized. She did not get the lobotomy. And I'm not saying that groups of soldiers weren't allowed into mental institutions to rape the women. I just have a hard time believing that was going on. Um, they didn't mention anything about that being false, but I don't think that the lobotomy thing was done in bad faith. It was based on a book that had come out at the time. So I think that book later is like, you know, sort of been called into question. So yeah. And, plus well, it was and also her, some of her accounts of what was going on, I think are called into question because she was mentally ill, right? I mean, was she mentally ill or was she? Well, just... the movie claims she wasn't, but she claims she wasn't, but we can't take her word for it. <laughs> Some cursory Wikipedia research indicates that maybe she was she... mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I liked the first half of the movie a lot. And, but once she started having the breakdowns, I guess with the first breakdown and all that stuff with her, her, her mental state after that is where it lost me. But I like the first movie a lot because, or the first part of the movie a lot, because her character was defying expectations. You know, she writes this essay, this essay sort of against God, and she presents it, and her her parents are completely supportive, which I didn't expect. Yeah, uh, she seems like she's very smart for her age and just in general, but then ends up going to Hollywood. I also didn't expect that, and. It had some, I thought it had some really great lines, some good quotes in, in the first half. Like, I don't know if you remember, who was it? Maybe it was <clears throat> that, I guess, like the agent or the producer. Or maybe it was the, uh, yeah, I think he said, we, we lecture those on time for those that are tardy. Remember that line? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And then also the, um, the playwright, um, I forget his name. Oh, Clifford Odets. Yeah, he has that great line where he says, we live in a time when works of art should shoot bullets. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good line. And so I was really engaged with the story and I was like thinking, wondering what, what, what was going to happen. I thought maybe like, because she went to, to Moscow, I was thinking, oh, maybe we're going to show some 1930s Moscow, which they didn't sadly. Uh, but I was like waiting to see what else is going to happen to her life because she keeps defying expectations. And then she had her uh, first breakdown or supposed breakdown. And then it just became like this kind of just, it felt like it was going around in circles. It became like a mellow, a too melodramatic. 
yeah, those very emotional scenes. It just it felt like a lifetime movie. That second yeah, half of a TV that, movie. I, I have to agree that when I was watching it, I kept thinking the potential here to tell this story was so good. Like this could have been amazing, but it all goes downhill. And again, I'm not denying that this happened, but her mom was able to keep her in a mental institution because she just wanted to go and be, be like a seasonal uh, like strawberry picker in Mexico. I was also kind of surprised. I thought that it'd be, she'd be like sexually harassed more, but they didn't really show that. Not that that didn't happen to her. They kind of skimmed over her Hollywood career. Have you seen any of her movies? Francis um, I saw the one a long time ago, Come and Get It. The one where they're like in the Yukon or whatever. I can't really remember her being like standout actress. Yeah. And some of, I don't know, like some of the, her life choices I felt were like a little underdeveloped. All of a sudden we were introduced to this guy she married, like that aspiring actor. It wasn't really clear why she married him. I know. It's like, why, why aren't we getting that? She, she said she married him because the studio told her not to. So yes, that's another side of her defiance but we could have had a little bit more of that story yeah and maybe maybe they should have just had the movie focus on pre-mental issues and just like flush that out more i don't know i'm not sure how or just have to be longer so you said she never got the lobotomy in the movie they present her getting a lobotomy and then her personality changes where she becomes religious and very sort of hesitant well, I'm not saying they didn't like fuck her up with like electroshock therapy and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But did you read anything about her later in life? Yeah, she went on to move to Indianapolis and was a host of a like a daily TV talk show for about eight years. And then she died in 1970. And that hairy guy is also like a, a fiction made up for the movie. He didn't exist the character played by Sam Shepard. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of kind of interesting, but it's just like, I also didn't really get it. He sort of, he, I guess he was pining after her, hoping she'd come around one day, right? But he magically appears. <laughs> like, here's Harry. Like, she's on, the tr- on trial in LA for assaulting a police officer, and Harry is magically there. Then suddenly she's in Seattle, and he's magically back in Seattle. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, it was, I think that's just bad writing. Mm-hmm. He, he like shows up to save the day every time she needs mm-hmm. it. He's there to bust her out of the mental institution. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was kind of weird and like, what, what was this rated PG 13 or R probably R right? I don't know. But it seemed like they kept teasing her breasts. Like they, sh- they, they would almost show them from every angle, but they never showed them. <laughs> I don't know. That's struck me for some reason. <laughs> I don't I think it's PG-13. Yeah. Or no, there was no PG-13 back then, so it's probably just PG. PG. PGR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret watching it, but I would recommend it, I don't think. I think it's, if you like Jessica Lange and you only know her from American Horror Story, um, it's great. To, this is one of her own personal favorite performances, and she's great in it. I would recommend it. But if you're not, then no, skip it. Yeah, yeah, I would endorse that. And she, she's played other kind of tragic characters. I remember I was too young to really get it, but I watched, um, what's the one with Tommy Lee Jones? Oh, yeah, Blue Sky. 
Yeah, and that I forget what's the issue. Does he she have has men- mental? She has mental illness in that one too. Yeah, she loves playing the crazies. Yeah, but she's good. Very good. Are they still making American Horror Story? I don't know. I don't know what's happening with anything. Are they oh. making anything? And then you watched uh, you watched her in that movie about the rivalry between. Oh, she's in that TV show Feud. Yeah, yeah. she's a, she's fantastic in that. She plays Joan Crawford. Yeah, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, it's really good. So uh, a double skip, I think. Yeah, with with conditions. With conditions. Mm-hmm. There's an asterisk on the end for that. Not a necessary skip for everyone, but a general skip. Which I, I, I in my mind, I imagine this is being like an amazing movie, but I think it was just the emotional aspect, that, like the feelings that I got from watching Jessica Lang that stuck with me. Nothing else did. Yeah, that's a good assessment. So speaking of defined characters, let's talk about Malcolm X. Yes. Spike Lee's 1992 award-nominated biographical epic of the controversial and influential black nationalist leader from his early life and career as a small-time gangster to his ministry, as a member of the Nation of Islam. So we go from Francis, which I would consider a failed biography, to Malcolm X, which I would consider like a top-tier biography, an epic biography. For sure, for sure. And I think, I mean, Denzel Washington makes this movie, does he not? Yeah. He's, he is hands down, probably like that moment where you're just like, damn, he is so good that you kind of forget with like Man on Fire and like sort of more action-y stuff he's done lately. It was like, damn, he's so good. Yeah, I was watching this and his performance just struck me in such a way. I'm like, if I ever like ran into this guy in public, I think I would just freeze up. Like I wouldn't even know what to do. He's like, he's like a, he's a living legend. Yeah, he's amazing. And one of the reasons is it it feels like in this movie, it's almost like he's playing three different characters because you have the like sort of the three phases of Malcolm's life. You have his early kind of street hood hustler or criminal phase. Then you have his redemption slash sort of militant uh, leader. And then the third one, which is also the shortest one, is his when he's finally, I think, becomes an uh, authentic person. One One thing that I noticed that I wasn't sure about that I wanted to ask you, in the first segment where it's his criminal life you know did you see that bullet sound effect that they yes kept using? That it keeps going through the whole so the first time it happens i was kind of taken aback by it and i had to rewind because i did something happen and i missed it on screen but it was was it when they were in the park was that the first time it happened yeah they were goofing him and spike lee were goofing around in the park like running after each other pretend it's like cops and robbers right right but it's like a foreshadowing technique used throughout the movie because, I mean, we know what's coming. Yeah, and but I remember hearing it twice early on, and then I don't think I heard it again. I wish I'd noted it because I feel like I heard it later, and then there's like the full-on bang in your face moment where they play Shotgun, that song. 
there's a song called Shotgun. Well, it's like shotgun, shoot it to you know, like do the jerk, when was baby. That? Like then they're checking out the Audubon Ballroom and there's a dance going on in there. Oh, I didn't even I didn't pay attention to the song. And that song's playing in the background and they keep saying that shotgun part as he's like driving the car. <laughs> well, that's a little on the nose. Yeah, it was, but it worked. There was one line in this movie I hated. After they he he organizes that protest outside of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And as they walk away, the cop plays. Oh, by. Peter Boyle. Yeah. Yeah, he goes, That's too much power for any one man to have. I'm like, Yeah. Oh, he didn't need to say that. We know that. Yeah. But I like that it, it was a movie, I think for me, it boiled down to a man who was sort of easily swayed or seduced by extremes. So in the beginning, he was all about like looking good and sort of getting laid because he was seduced by that lifestyle. Right. Uh, then he was seduced into being a criminal. Then he was seduced into being this militant nation of Islam leader. And it's only at the end where he finally kind of finds his own path. And I really, really enjoyed that arc. I enjoyed the third act the most. Uh, once the the conflicts with the nation of Islam, yeah. Start. Once those start and seeing like the turmoil, he's got to reconcile the fact that like this is an organization that he believes in, but maybe he's been blinded. Like you know, Angela Bassett's character, his wife Betty, says, "Wake up, wake up, wake up," because he's not seeing what's right in front of him, and other people are telling him, "Look around, this is not right," and these people are plotting against you. And then when he finally does wake up, that's yeah. That for me that makes the masterpiece that last third is amazing yeah for sure and it's like it's also very timely with elijah muhammad just impregnating a bunch of young women (laughs) yeah creepy so this movie has a connection to another movie we watched a long time ago nightmare on elm street how so the dream child so in malcolm x do you remember where he goes on to a talk show what show was it I don't remember, but the host of that show played the doctor in Nightmare on Elm Street, These the one like, that was trying to help them. This is like really <laughs> deep dives, so, connections. Yeah. So my thing is, and like I, I, this started when I was a kid. I would, I'd be like really good at recognizing recognizing mm. faces in movies. So like, if I see someone, I can like remember what other movie I saw them. Okay. So I had to I had to jot that down because it's okay. all connected, Sydney. It, it's all connected. It is, man. Everything is connected. You dig? But I was gonna say, so I the first part of the movie, the first third, not my favorite, but you need the first third to get to the end. So I go back. I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, it yeah, it kind of felt a little long, but it, that first third. But at the same time, I think Spike Lee did a good job of creating that world of yeah of the interwar years or whatever the war years whatever you call them yeah um so here's a one thing i noticed one one part of malcolm's transformation from sort of being the brainwashed victim of the white race to becoming this independent black leader is that he stops straightening his hair yes but his wife does not <laughs> no she does not isn't that kind of weird that's interesting and i don't know if that's actually i noticed that too but she does stop straightening her hair afterwards i think after he dies oh in real life mm-hmm. 
All right. But speaking of his wife, Betty, played by Angela Bassett, I think the two relationships that he has in this movie, the chemistry between him and each of those actresses, as well as the dynamics, are two really strong points of this movie as well. Yeah, and um, I looked up the the actress. Uh, what was her name? The one, the white one that he's dating in the first part. Um, oh, uh, Kate, Kate Vernon, I think. Yeah, she was really good, and I looked her up. And like the only other thing she's really known for is Sixteen Candles. But I, I thought mm-hmm. she did a great job. Yeah, as sort of this white femme fatale almost. And I don't. It was interesting that Spike Lee cast himself as the friend. I don't know if that was necessary. He was okay. Um, but Delroy Lindo was really good too. Oh yeah, very good. Delroy was really good, and um, uh, Al Freeman Jr., who played Elijah Muhammad, because I watched that uh, Malcolm X documentary on Netflix a while ago, earlier in the summer, and so watching him play Elijah Muhammad, and then having seen that, it it was kind of creepy. <laughs> I meant to look this up, but where was Elijah Muhammad from? I think he was from Detroit. It sounded like he had a foreign accent, though. That might just be an affectation. Oh, I thought he was, like, from Libya or something. Oh, no, he's from Georgia. He was born in Georgia. That's so weird. He sounded foreign to me. And how did he discover Islam, do we know? Um, In Detroit. It was in Detroit with the guy who started the Nation of Islam. And then in the documentary, do you remember? Because I guess the conspiracy is that like Louis Farrakhan killed Malcolm X or organized. I it? don't think it was Farrakhan. It was a bunch of guys who were loyal to Elijah Muhammad, and the order was given to take Malcolm out. So it was guys within the Nation of Islam. Yeah, because I did look up that Brother Bane's character. He was not based on a real guy. It was more of like a bunch of characters combined to sort of represent that point of view. Right. He didn't convert Malcolm in prison. I believe it was through letters from his brother and sister that he converted. Oh, because his brother was uh, a Muslim. That's right. Yeah, which they didn't have in the movie, which was fine. Yeah. I mean, there's some things where it's like, yeah, I get you. It's already three hours and a half. So we've got to sort of condense and delete some of the story. I mean, but at least no one's getting fake lobotomies. (laughs) And I guess uh, I learned also that his uh, Malcolm's daughter was later arrested for a conspiracy to kill Louis Farrakhan because she blamed him for his death. Yeah, I saw that too. I guess like how big was the Nation of Islam then? I mean, we weren't alive, but your parents were alive. I don't know. That's a good question. Was Malcolm like on on the news all the time and like compared to some I of mean, the other leaders? He was like he was on talk shows and on because you know back in the day they used to have those shows where they would have two opposing viewpoints debate each other. Mm-hmm. So he was on like those shows and I mean giving speeches. Apparently he gave speeches at Harvard all the time to white audiences at Harvard. And, and well, I know there's temp. I mean I think that. Uh, and maybe it's Newark. I can't. Some city. Maybe it's Newark. New Jersey had like the biggest population of uh, Black Muslims in the country, but they're like Muslim temples all over the country. Well, there's the giant one in uh, on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, You've probably well, yeah. seen it. Yeah, because well, Chicago's huge yeah. population. Louis Farrakhan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was his relationship with MLK like? Did they ever meet? I wonder. Yeah, they did meet. But I don't know what they're... These are really good questions. 
I don't know what their personal relationship was like. They didn't talk about that in the documentary too much. Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh yeah. So you remember he had so he they showed some of his uh, sort of memories of when he was a kid and his dad was a preacher mm-hmm. yeah. who was uh, like in the group with was it Marcus Garvey? Or he was like, like a Marcus. He was um, a proponent of Marcus Garvey's like philosophy. I think they called them Garveyites. Yeah, and their philosophy was we all like African Americans need to move back to Africa. Yes, or separate themselves from white people. Yeah. So what I didn't really understand, and I'm not critiquing the movie for this. I'm just trying to understand it. Like, wouldn't those KKK guys who burned his house and murdered him? Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they be Garveyites too? Isn't that exactly what they want? I mean, you would think that, but I think also having someone who's standing up as a strong, powerful black person who will not bow down or change like their tone or su- submit themselves to the authority of white people is the problem. Because it's it's counter to their narrative that black people are inferior. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like I'm reading that I'm finishing up this book called Bloodlands, Europe Between Hitler and Stalin. And it's uh, it, it's a great book. It just one it documents in a very well researched detail all the various atrocities of Hitler and Stalin and like the evolution of sort of their philosophies and policies from like the 30s all the way through through the 40s. But uh, like one thing that both of them had to contend with is that reality was in contradiction with their narrative. And like for right. Hitler, you know, the narrative was like. Jews are subhuman and weak, but there were Jewish uprisings, which would contradict the philosophy that they're they're subhuman and weak. Right. Same with America. It's like black people are lazy. There's this, that, and the other. But then when black people go off and create their own communities that thrive and are successful, it counters their narrative. And then the white people riot and burn them down. (laughs) And they get really upset when the president's black. Yeah. They can't (laughs) handle that shit. (laughs) So Malcolm X, definitely a renter. Oh, yeah. Malcolm X is definitely a renter. And I actually had an idea for next week Mm -hmm. because I watched like a couple of these little video clips with Spike Lee and he was listing off like his top favorite movies of all time. And I think we should watch two of them. Uh, Do you have the list handy? I'd be curious just to know what what the other movies are. I think it was five movies. It was um, Night of the Hunter. Face in the Crowd, Mean Streets, On the Waterfront. There's one more. I can't remember. And which ones do you want to watch? I want to watch A Face in the Crowd because I've never seen it. And Who's then that I, by? Uh, Ilya Kazan. Was he the guy? Uh, yeah, he was the guy who collaborated and then uh, got the Academy Award for his career achievement and half, half the yes. audience wouldn't stand up. I love yeah. watching that YouTube clip. It's very yeah, telling. Yeah, when... Uh, Nick Nolte, I remember, didn't stand up. Yeah, because he was... A, I mean, he ratted out those people during yeah. the uh, communist era, his fellow people, his fellow artists. Um, yeah, we can talk about that. And then what's what's the other one? Um, well, there's two Kazan movies on there, On the Waterfront and yeah. Face in the Crowd. But the other one I want to watch is Night of the Hunter because that has a young Robert Mitchum in it. I'm I'm sold. Yeah, and he plays like a really evil character. Yeah, wasn't he in Cape, the original Cape Fear? Yeah. Yeah, I've only seen the De Niro one, but I, I bet he's good in that too. All right, yeah, this is good. 
I agree to this. Okay. And uh, my birthday is in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to have a movie for you to watch for my birthday. It's one of my all-time favorite movies that I love, love, love so much. Is Jean-Claude Van Damme in it? No. All right. So you've been listening to Two for the Matinee. I'm Jake. <laughs> That's Jake, and I'm Sydney. Join us next time when we watch or what after we watch and we discuss face in the crowd and night of the hunter see you next week